Yirmiyahu chapter 7. Hadavara Shehayel Yirmiyahu Me'et Hashem Le'mar. Amod Bishar Beit Hashem. Bikarat Hashem Et Hadavara Zeh. Biyamarata Shimudvar Hashem. Ko Yehuda Ba'im Basharim Ha'ele. Rishdachavot Hashem. The word which came to Yirmiyahu stands at the gate of the house of the Lord, temple, and there proclaim this word. Hear the word of God, all you of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord, literally to bow down. Come and to bow down. So the prophecy takes place at the gate of the temple. This prophecy at the gate of the temple, which is chapter 7, actually is repeated, variation, of course, later on in chapter 26, and we'll get there someday. And it's very interesting that the same story is represented in two very different ways. But over here, the prophecy, which is not a, a remarkable prophecy, it would appear on any level. In verse number three, improve your ways, fix your ways. And I will let you dwell or cause you to dwell in this place. Don't trust in your illusions and say, the temple of God, the temple of God, the temple of God, Hema, are these places, these buildings. Rather, mend your ways, fix your ways, etc. And he describes what it means to fix your ways, not to mistreat the widow and the orphan, not to steal, not to shed innocent blood, not to follow idolatrous practices. If you do that, you will be secure. But if you don't do that, if you continue your evil ways, behaviors, stealing, murder, false oaths, etc., then you will not succeed. And in fact, if you don't believe me, says Yirmiyahu, in God's name, go to Shiloh. Shiloh, of course, was the great temple prior to Jerusalem. Shiloh appears in the beginning of the book of Shmuel. The priests, sons of Ewi, are running the temple. Shiloh exists for many years. It appears also at the end of the book of Judges, the book of Shoftim. And Shiloh was destroyed in the beginning of the book of Shmuel. So don't think it can ever happen. Because the temple at Shiloh... Tradition has it, and Maimonides cites it, that Shiloh existed for 369 years, wherever that tradition is coming from, but it's around for a long time. It's the precursor to the Temple of Jerusalem, and that was destroyed. If that was destroyed, your temple can also be destroyed, and that's the subject matter in chapter 26 as well. But here I wanted to focus on the triple, Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Heimah. Don't delude yourself into thinking, because we have a temple, everything will be all right. And actually, this phrase, Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Hema, this reminds us, actually, of what we encountered earlier in Yirmiyahu, and that is in chapter 3. Chapter 3 talks about a promise for the future, positive prophecy. Chapter 3, verse 16, Vayaki tibu ufritem ba'aretz, in those days, when you increase and are fertile in the land, if you return, because chapter 3 speaks about the possibility of return, if that happens, 
Lo yomru od Aron brit Hashem. Lo yale alev. Lo yiskru bo vlo yifkodu. Lo ye ose od. Lo etahi yikru Yerushalayim kise Hashem. Venikru elea ko agoyim ushem Hashem Yerushalayim. Lo yelchu od achare shri rutli bam hara. Chapter 3, verse 16, 16 and 17. When you increase and are fertile in the land in those days, declares God. People shall no longer speak of the Ark of the Covenant of God, nor shall it come to mind. They shall not mention it, or miss it, or make another. At that time, they will call Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, the throne of God. All nations shall assemble there in the name of God at Jerusalem. That prophecy of all the nations assembling to God's place is an end-of-days prophecy we've encountered elsewhere, of course, in Yeshayahu, comes up in Micha, Prophet Micah. What's interesting is that here, it seems that the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, Aron Brit Hashem, will, never be, will not be remembered anymore. No one's going to speak of it, and that the speaking of the Ark of God seems to be something negative. And here, this takes us back to two stories of the Torah, one of which I think is built on the other. The story that comes to mind immediately is, of course, the story of Shiloh. The story of Shiloh, which is found in the beginning of Shmuel, is that Shiloh was run by corrupt priests, sons of Eli. They're corrupt vis-a-vis the people, they're corrupt vis-a-vis God. God has determined to destroy Shiloh. And then there's a war that takes place in chapter 4 of Shmuel, 1 Samuel. And Israel loses the first battle against the Philistines. And they say to themselves, why did we lose the battle? Let's bring out the Ark of God. And we will certainly win the battle. And their thinking is in one of two directions. Either they think because the Ark of God has a magical quality to it. That's one possibility. They attach significance to the ark, and that is a means to an end, but as an end in itself, which is essentially the definition of idolatry. And the other possibility is different, which is we'll bring the ark out to battle. If the ark's in the battlefield, then the presumption is God is there as well. Then God won't allow us to lose the battle, because if you lose the battle, it would appear that God has lost the battle. In point of fact, it doesn't work. In point of fact, they lose the battle. And it is true that the Philistines think they have defeated God. They place the ark uh, in front of their god, Dagon. But they learn very quickly that that's not the case. That God has not been defeated by the Philistines, but one might say God has imposed exile upon God. The ark is then finally returned to Israel and shunted aside to a place called Kiryat Yarim. And what follows afterwards in chapter 7, after the ark is returned, it says that when the ark was missing from Israel for 20 years, then Israel sighed for God. Sighed, S-I-G-H-E-D. And it would appear that as long as the ark is in the midst of Israel, people will confuse the ark, people will misunderstand the ark, and they won't see God. Because if they have the symbols of God, they won't seek God. And only when the symbol is removed from public view, and for 20 years, and shunted aside to Kiryat Yari, and Yara is a forest. In the Bible, it's a place people don't walk. 
when the ark, when the symbols are missing, then they can begin to search for God, which is pretty much what Yirmiyahu was saying about a future vision. In the future, they won't speak of the ark. They'll speak of God in God's place, and all the nations will assemble and come to Jerusalem. So that's the prophecy of Yirmiyahu. And actually, if we think about it more deeply, the truth of the matter is that this takes us back to a previous story. You know that the stories of Shmuel, character of Samuel, is based upon, not identical to, but based upon the character of Moshe. And there's a similar story in, in the Torah regarding Moshe. When Moshe comes down the mountain, there he carries with him the tablets of God. The tablets of God, says the Torah, the writing is the writing of God. And the tablets, the Luchot, Maseh Elohim Hema, they are the work of God. And the writing, the writing of God, engraved in the tablets. When Moshe comes down the mountain, after he has persuaded God not to destroy Israel, he comes down the mountain carrying the tablets, and he sees the people. He sees the golden calf, of which he was told earlier. But what he wasn't told earlier was the dancing. He sees the enthusiasm for the golden calf. He sees the dancing, and this enrages him. And he takes the tablets and he breaks them. He breaks them under the mountain. And why does Moses break the tablets? He does it out of anger, no doubt. But there perhaps is something else as well. He realizes that the tablets not only have no value to them, because what's the point of giving people a set of tablets and the commandments etched upon the tablets when the first commandment is, I am the God who took you out of Egypt, have no other gods before me. And they're dancing to the other God. But more than that, it's not only they have no value, but actually they're negative. Because if you give them the tablets, they might think that actually God is with them. So Moshe is forced to break the tablets. And only after the tablets are broken, and there are no tablets, then people can begin to yearn for God's presence, which is what happens later, through the intercession of Moshe as a mediator, as a reconciler, the people can begin to search for God. So Yirmiyahu is saying in chapter 7 and in chapter 3, the problem with the temple is that people can make a mistake and think that as long as we have a temple, God is with us, no matter what we do. Of course, that's a thought that the prophet, speaking in God's name, wants to disabuse completely. What is the temple, says, says Yirmiyo in chapter 7? Some kind of a den of thieves, where thieves can hang out? That makes no sense. But people tend to assign, to attribute a value to the symbols of religion, and the value assigned to the symbols of religion can obfuscate what religion is truly about. So in chapter 7, Yermio, in verse number 4, don't believe the lies they're teaching you. What is the lies they teach you? Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Heichal Hashem, Heimah. Don't believe that. It's not about the temple. The temple could be a very fine institution if it reflects the presence of God. But the presence of God can only be with us if the behavior is one that God approves of, 
then Yirmiyo spells out in chapter 7 what this behavior would be. The way one treats the marginalized people, and don't follow other gods. And this speech is given in the gates, the gates of the temple. That's chapter 7. In chapter 26, when we get there, we'll see that the very same story appears in chapter 26. And there, the book of Yirmiyo spells out all the consequences of, of that particular a prophecy that Yirmiyahu uh, tells the people, and the tremendous uproar about the fact that Yirmiyahu is prophesying in the temple and reminding people of Shiloh, and telling the people, don't think it can't happen here. What happened in Shiloh can happen again.